three, two, one. Here we go! Hello, hello, and welcome to the No Normal Show, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, and boring in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, as always, Stephanie Weirbel, EVP of Engagement, and I'm joined by two very special guests today. We've got Sasha Bogosian, Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer here at Revive. Hi, Sasha. Hello, hello. How are you? Hey, I'm good. It's it's really cold here in Nashville. It's like zero degrees, but you're in the sunny California, um, LA area. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the 50s and uh, probably as cold as I'd like it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think 50 is is, uh, too cold. (laughs) Um, And we also have a very special guest. We have Marion Deselin, and she is a member of our CMO SWAT team. Hi, Marion. Hey, Stephanie. So glad to be with you here today. We're so excited for this conversation. Marion's going to drop a lot of gems. (laughs) Um, Uncut gems, right? Yes, that's right. So let me give a little uh, little background here on Marion. she is joining us, as I mentioned, as a member of our CMO SWAT team, which is a fairly new introduction to Revive and to our clients. And what that means is that we know that healthcare and health system worlds are constantly shifting and changing, and it's probably a more difficult era right now for CMOs than ever before. So we've brought in a few client advisors, folks who have sat in that role of chief marketing communications officers who can really address difficult challenges and advance all kinds of initiatives and be an ear to our CMOs and CMCOs and CCO clients. Um, and and Marion does that very, very well because she has years of experience as chief marketing and communications officer at Health Systems. Many health systems like Beth Israel Leahy Health, Tenet Healthcare, North Shore LIJ Health System, and UPMC. And she's also led marketing for Highmark Whole Care, which is a managed care organization serving 550,000 Medicare and Medicaid members across six states. So with that background, I'm really excited. We're going to get into some really great chats here today about the role of the CMO and what's evolving and what's shifting and all the different hats that CMOs have to wear. So I'll just give a little overview of of our topic today, and then we'll just jump right in and see where it takes us. Um, As I mentioned, Sasha and I both are going to pick Marion's brain um, (laughs) and talk about what is the role of the CMO in 2024 for health systems? What are the many stakeholders that have to be served? And what are those many hats that have to be worn? And just, you know, what's changing? So CMOs and CMCOs have to keep doing all the things they've done in the past, of course, but they have a lot of new um, shifting needs that stakeholders have. And so we'll just dig in and maybe we'll just start right there. So Marion, why don't you, let's just start with what is the role of the CMCO today? What is the role of the marketing communications team? Let's define that a little bit and then, and then we'll build from there. Terrific. Yeah, I'm I'm so jazzed that Revive is investing an episode in this kind of dialogue because I think, you know, as chief marketing officers, chief marketing and communications officers, chief communications officers, 
we're always putting our head on the pillow at night, worrying about what's possible on the horizon um, for the next day. But if you take a moment to look back, as you mentioned the different organizations that, that I've been with, Stephanie, um, gosh, the role of leading Marcom has changed immensely. And certainly every organization is different. We hear that all the time from our own clients, right? My hospital is different than the hospital across the street. And the same is true for health systems. And so there is no cookie cutter definition of what a marketing and communications functions priorities are. Uh, but it is incumbent on the leaders of the Marcom function to define that. And I think I would venture that in many cases, we see ourselves differently than others in our own organizations view us. So in other words, if I were to answer that question of what is the role of a marketing and communications function in my organization, my definition would be very sophisticated, right? It would talk not as much about just being the keeper of the brand or the, um, the patron of the organization's value proposition. Uh, it had morphed over time to include being a catalyst for consumer engagement and growth and acquisition. Uh, there's that phase of being responsible for demonstrating that we are good stewards of the organization's investment in our budget dollars by measuring ROI. But when you think about it today and you look at the capacity that we as marketers have in our hands in the form of data, whether that's through marketing research that we field or syndicated research, uh, the ability for us to use our data warehouses, our integration with our EHRs to understand behavioral segmentation and the like, we really have a lot of insight that we would say we are able to take this insight, this knowledge, and and enable others in the organization to engage more effectively with patients, with employees, with external constituents. That's our definition. Would that definition be the same if you posed that question to your head of philanthropy, to your chief financial officer, to a hospital president, I think what is likely is you would not only get different answers from each of those clients, as I like to call them, because we are a service organization, Marcom exists to serve, uh, they would have different answers from one another, but I would also suggest that none of those would match what we as the Marcom experts would see our role as being. So I think um, it, this is not all bad news. This is good. This gives us an opportunity to ignite conversations internally to not simply inform, but learn at the same time. Because just as much as our roles have been changing in our organizations, 
so have our counterparts' roles been changing too. And I think the opportunity is really right in front of us to invite discussions where we can jointly reinvent our roles in concert with their capacity to not only be a proponent of the skills that we bring to the table, but to actually invite us to be part of their quasi-leadership teams within their own departments or hospitals. Uh, and, and this really could enable us to see ourselves more as business strategists with a special expertise in marketing and communications rather than just a subject matter expert. Yeah, that, that, I really love the way you define that sort of gap between how a Marcom leader might see themselves and how the rest of their constituents might see the, the, the charge in that role. Um, but the, the, that gap, um, it's, it's pretty big. Um, what's step one in, in filling it? All, all those counterparts, those constituents that you talked about, they're busy trying to figure out how their role is changing. So how, how do you get their attention? What, how, where do you start to start building that bridge? Right. Yeah. The, this is, you know, I, I have this little anecdote. I, I always refer back on uh, years ago when I was, before my time in healthcare, I was in a, a startup company. And at that point, the role of marketing and communications, we're going back 20 years, it was really misunderstood. Uh, we were viewed as sales support. In fact, we had someone um, in our sales organization, bring a client into the office for a tour. And they stopped in our area and they said, this is the marketing department. They're responsible for the colors and the logo, right? Um, but what they also uh, pointed to was, oh, yeah, they're responsible for shameless self-promotion. And what I learned was, my goodness, is this what people think we're responsible for? They say it in jest, but there's there's an, a bit of truth to it, right? So sometimes I like to always refer that sometimes communicators can be the worst communicators. So the first thing, the first step is that acknowledgement that we as marketing and communications leaders need to take a dose of our own medicine and acknowledge that we may be the impediment to others recognizing our capacity to provide assistance. And so that comes with a slice of humble pie in many cases um, in having those honest one-on-one -on -one conversations with your peer in that other leadership capacity to understand, to ask them to define what they perceive our role to be and be willing to take some lumps not to necessarily be, uh, let's say, argumentative, we certainly would never do that, but to acknowledge that their perception is their reality. And so let's get a baseline understanding, just as we would with any scientific research. Uh, please help us understand how you view our capacity to provide assistance in reaching your business goals today. Not just in terms of an, a laundry list of, oh, you do social media, you do content production, 
what do you, as the leader of a service function, let's use finance as an example, I'm not sure that they really care so much that we do social media, but they have messages that they want to convey to some very discreet audiences. Um, it may be bondholders, and they might not recognize that we can help work with them, work with their treasure, shape their messages before they have uh, a call with the rating agencies. Uh, those kinds of things are things we need to understand that may have gaps. And you mentioned that, Sasha, you said gaps. We need to start with what are we doing well? Where do we have gaps? And asking and inviting from them, what kinds of skills or experience does our team need to have in order to add incremental value to what your team has in place? By no means are we suggesting that we're going to know more than the treasurer would know in terms of what the rating agencies are looking for in terms of message points. But what we can offer is the ability to add some greater perspective or context behind the facts and figures. And being able to have those very frank conversations and to do them not just with one person in the finance organization, but with several, just like we have subspecialties, they have subspecialties too. So understanding the nuts and bolts of everything they do, revenue cycle, how does that marry up with what HR is trying to develop in terms of messaging points at patient registration, uh, in recruitment, for individuals that we're trying to fill those roles in a finance capacity for. So leveling the landscape, being comfortable with being uncomfortable and doing that audit uh, is I think really a key component to putting things on the right track to not only helping identify what building blocks we may or may not have in place, but to having that long-term productive relationship with colleagues in other parts of the organization. I, I love that you started with finance as an example of a constituency because it feels like it's the least logical one, but in how you outlined it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, can you talk about other stakeholder groups inside of a, a health system organization? Who are they and, and, and how is it that, that we can work with them to, to bridge that gap? Great. Uh, I'd, I'd love to talk about that by, by first setting aside who, who I don't think today's conversation is meant to address as specifically. I think we're all accustomed to working with hospital leaders, whether those be providers or operational leaders. Um, and when I say hospital, I really mean care delivery, right? Whether it's inpatient, outpatient, uh, those are all constituents that I think we have a higher level of comfort of understanding and anticipating needs. For today's conversation, let's talk about those less obvious constituents. So in addition to finance, there are organizations like human resources, like philanthropy or development, who in many cases may have their own communications resources or marketing or events management 
resources in place. And they may not be direct reports of centralized marketing and communications. They may have some dotted line uh, responsibility. There may just be casual interface between your team members and theirs, or there may be some real fences that need to be mended between organizations where one may perceive that the other doesn't have the same priorities in place. Uh, so certainly think about those as one category. And I, I like to think of HR and philanthropy and development in that container, let's say. Um, another that we may wanna think about a little differently is your DEI organization, which may include your community benefits or community relations team members. When you think about that organization and their level of visibility and representation of the ethos of your organization, there are so many opportunities for those value proposition messages to dovetail. And think about it, it's bi-directional, right? We certainly have a story for the organization that we want those individuals who are out and about in the community to be able to represent and speak about, not just why the organization exists, but what makes it special, the why choose us mentality or thread that should be part of every interaction that they have. But conversely, and in a complementary way, there's a lot that we can take from their understanding of those interactions and infuse in the messaging that we help to deliver through other channels of communication. Uh, they are right on the front lines of understanding what access problems patients may be encountering. Uh, right? They go to a community event. They're there to talk about uh, staying healthy, taking steps to have diagnostic or preventative care. Um, and then they're hearing feedback of experiences, some positive, some negative, that those community members may be having. How do we create filters for that insight to be shared with the MARCOM team? How do we then take that and consider how that is incorporated in any of our content production that we may be working on? Uh, so understanding, again, what are their goals and objectives um, is really key. And I think, you know, Sasha, you, you would probably agree when you look beyond healthcare, what things are happening in the landscape of DEI is really troubling right now, as we're seeing lots of organizations uh, speak to the dismantling of certain functions uh, within their organizations. Um, are our leaders concerned about that? Do we need to be addressing that proactively head on? So don't wait for a phone call from your DEI leader to ideate with you about how they and collectively we establish a positioning platform for that function. But 
let's work on it together based on the knowledge that each of us are assembling and putting that together um, collaboratively rather than waiting for one to reach out to the other. You know, Marion, one thing I love about the perspective you're sharing is it, it's, it's thinking about our audiences very broadly. And as, you know, MNC teams, marketing and communications teams, the really key skill, the number one most important skill is to un- be able to understand audiences. And often we think about that as external audiences first, right? Consumers, the public, patients, maybe policymakers, maybe referring physicians and employees as a broad group. But I love that you're you're really breaking down and translating how how do marketers and communicators take that key skill of understanding audiences and think about it in terms of stakeholder audiences. And you know, first step is understanding the needs, the problems to be solved. <laughs> and then second step is to solve them. So, um, you know, I just think it's it's you you make it sound you know simple and easy, but it's really quite complex, and it's not something that we hear a lot of folks talk about in the way that you are. Um, I would just I like I like that perspective. Well, you know something that comes to mind as I'm listening to to you, Stephanie, is we are really good at test and learn, right? We do it all the time tactically when we're looking to understand what. Uh, calls to action work most effectively. It's not one silver bullet that is going to be the 100% correct way to handle a situation. Um, But we have been trained, we really are proponents of trying things different ways, learning what works, what works well, what works better, And if we can bring even that kind of discipline to the ideas that our colleagues are wrestling with their own decision-making, we don't necessarily have to be the one to help them choose, but rather to help them decide once we can perhaps impart some of that test and learn mindset and toolkits to help them measure on the back end what did work the best. Uh, rather than it being conjecture, there's that level of science. And that's where I think all of us who work in this space love that blend of creative and science-driven decision-making. Um, and I think there's no one better poised in a health organization to bring that thinking to these other specialty areas than marketing. Yeah, I, I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is kind of stuck with me, this idea of providing incremental value to the objectives that your constituents or counterparts might have internally. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that in the context of the world that these constituents live in. So a finance department's focus is really to strengthen the financial uh, situation that that the organization faces. So, So what are some common areas that that, uh, that you see in terms of being able to give that constituent some incremental value? And how is it that you earn their buy-in to try to do it together? Yeah. Um, those are long-term strategic plans in and of themselves, right? And uh, as Stephanie mentioned, know your audience, know your customer. Uh, 
the way that you build that relationship with finance may be very different than DEI, as an example. But there are some things that go on the thou shalt not do list, right? So incremental value, very important. In an organization like finance that's working against very tight deadlines, uh, we never want to be slowing things down or perceived as slowing things down. We also don't want to be perceived as coming in as someone who better understands how to communicate to their constituents, their stakeholders, better than they do. But what we can do is anticipate. So where we can add that incremental value is recognizing there may be a trigger event that is about to occur. It may be that um, there is a um, report that we're going to issue um, or an announcement, I should say. Let's use something very pertinent to the work we normally do. We may know that there is a press release that we are collaborating with finance on to announce that they are working with a third party to enhance revenue cycle operations. They may only think to bring us in once they've got the letter of intent, the agreement signed on paper. If we can demonstrate how understanding the terms of that relationship, which of those terms and having the dialogue in advance of the announcement date being established, which of those terms are we willing to disclose internally versus publicly? And even though, finance leader, this is something we may not want to speak about publicly, we may be asked about it. So here is a suggested response for how to address a media inquiry we may receive on that topic. Is this good? Help us steer this to what you are comfortable with saying. And so having that discussion as an illustration of how we can add incremental value can be very helpful, even if you do it as a um, debrief to something that happened recent in the recent past that could have been done better. And again, it's all in how you massage these conversations. Never want to approach it in a negative way, but to say, you know, I was thinking about how we might have avoided some of the unanticipated questions the media presented to us. Let's take another, the next thing on your slate, and let's try a different approach to working on it with you. Um, and so sometimes prevention um, or anticipation is the best way to build that value add because they're just, they're not thinking down the line. They're waiting for a trigger to occur. So getting in front of that, one small example will help to build that foundation to enable those conversations to happen organically rather than a prescribed way. So that, 
it, this sort of goes back to what Stephanie brought up earlier, knowing your audience. What, what, what you're outlining here is really intentionally living in their world and making it clear to all of these constituents that you're there to, to live in their world. One really important issue, sometimes an obstacle in relating to audiences, is the notion of language. We as marketers speak one language. Uh, and all of these different constituencies speak other languages, whether it's finance or your DEI group or enterprise leadership or, or, or whatever the group might be. Can you talk about the importance of language and how you can live in your constituents' language and, and sort of bridge, bridge that divide? Um, and how important is that to, to being effective and partnering together? That is, it's so critical that if we want to, again, represent our capabilities as being additive to theirs, we at least need to have a baseline of understanding of what it is like to live in their world. And so we think, as we always need to be thinking about, um, is our team structured appropriately given the needs of the organization and our goals and priorities. And sometimes we tend to think about structuring our team based upon subject matter expertise. There could be scenarios or situations in which that structure, the alignment of your talent should be less about their MARCOM chops in a given discipline and more about their knowledge of an organization, of, of a department's basic uh, bread and butter. So putting in someone who may have previous experience in a financial services industry to act as their point of contact or liaison for all of their interactions with communications and marketing may be one solution uh, to speaking their language. So using a similar example to um, a bond rating uh, changing, if we rely simply on someone from Treasury to call someone in media relations and say, we have a bond downgrade that I'm concerned about communicating would be pretty unfortunate if that individual who knows anything and everything about media relations doesn't understand the impact of a bond rating downgrade. There needs to be an intermediary that doesn't need to be a senior leader on your MarCom team. It can easily be someone who's got some experience, whether it's specific industry experience where they worked in an industry, perhaps they were part of an agency that had a client vertical that focused in that discipline, um, or maybe it's something that we need to recruit for that talent, whether that's bringing someone on the team or contracting with outside resources that can bring that to the table. That will really, again, provide that value add rather than being a distraction from them educating us. It's incumbent on ourselves to know their business. And uh, that is a really critical um, thought 
process that I think Marcom leaders should go through. Are we supporting those leaders in the most streamlined way possible rather than giving them a list of, if you need help with a media inquiry, call this person. If you're having trouble with um, engaging with a target audience, call this other person. How do we make it easy? They are a customer in the same way that a provider um, department would be. Yeah, that's that's fascinating and really, really helpful. Thank you for digging in on that. You've given us quite a few, I think, key takeaways here, um, which I'll just sum up some that I've had, which is the importance of speaking the language of the constituents, the importance of understanding them, living in their world. It sounds like also the importance of having ongoing conversations and, you know, even even just proactivity, right? To really identify in advance before you've been called in, before the order or request has been made to go ahead and identify what are the various constituents dealing with in their day to day. Um, before we before we close out, Marion, could you give maybe two or three really tactical things that CMOs and CMCOs can be doing to show up in this way that you've been talking about? Um, you know, for example, maybe it is set X number of meetings. I don't know. That's probably a bad example. But just what are some things that they can kind of put on their to-do list for 2024, put on their goals list? Right. So the first thing that I would um, offer as a suggestion in that regard is to make certain that there is alignment between priorities that the marketing and communications team has and those of all of your stakeholders or constituents. And that should be driven by the organization's strategic plan, the overarching business strategy of your system. First and foremost, need to be aligned there. Then get into understanding what is the strategic plan for a given department. If we're talking about DEI, are there specific health equity goals that they are trying to achieve? Are there metrics attached to those goals? We want to lean in, invite ourselves in to understanding that level of tactical goal for our customers and the only way to do that is to meet with them regularly. And so that should be uh, whether it works on a monthly basis to sit in one of their uh, already scheduled leadership meetings, whether it's in the form of a quarterly touch base where not only a liaison from your department, from the Marcom function, but perhaps others come to the table to ask them to share with us their progress against their own goals. And greater members of the team can offer ideas. No idea is ever a bad idea. Don't ever be inhibited to offering an idea in a meeting, even if it may not be the exact idea that people embrace, it could spur an offshoot. Well, that might not work, but what if we tweaked it a bit in a different direction? You want to get that dialogue. It's not done via email. It's not done um, simply by sending each other your strategic plans and reviewing them separately. 
It's got to be rolling up your sleeves and working together. What you don't want to do, though, is impose this as a burden on those individuals or they're not going to want to do it. So one example, if you're talking about a community hospital, you have, may have one community hospital within your system where they have a lot of pain points. They're struggling a lot more than another. Your frequency of meeting with those two hospitals doesn't have to be the same. Customize your level of care, just like a patient that you triage and diagnose and develop a treatment plan for. Uh, and it may require that you uh, be a bit more uh, convincing or enthusiastic uh, to get that meeting on the books or that seat in the conference room um, at the onset. But it is required that you follow through with ideas, with proposals, with recommendations that include alternatives. Uh, if you can make a promise to yourself that rather than coming in with just one suggestion, that you offer three and you offer the opportunity to have dialogue with them, even if you know ideas two and three aren't going to fly, having a dialogue to get their point of view as to why those ideas may have shortcomings can help you come up with the next three ideas for your next conversation. So invite people to be part of our world too. Help invite them to tell us why a marketing concept could be flawed in their world. Every idea doesn't have to be an idea that can be executed in order for it to create incremental value in the learning and idea sharing dialogue. That's that's so phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Those are those are really great suggestions. I'm hearing invite, invitation, inclusive as the word of the year. <laughs> um, right. And I In think so you know, many ways. Yes. <laughs> this has been a bit of a boot camp. Um, it's been phenomenal. Thank you for sharing your many gems um, of of how CMOs and CMCOs can can really show up to those many, many constituents. So let's wrap here, although I would love to have this conversation all day long. You have no shortage of 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 good of good advice to share. Thank you so much, Marianne, for being here. Thank you so much for, for joining us and for everything you're doing um, in terms of pushing pushing this industry forward. Well, I, I'm glad to be part of uh, the Revive team in that capacity. Uh, there's so much good stuff ahead and uh, anything that we can do um, to understand the pain points of your clients and others in the industry can only make us all better. Thanks for yes, having me. Absolutely. And thank you, Sasha. Thanks for joining as always and sharing sharing um, your smart questions because you see these things every single day from your seat too. Hey, thank you. This episode did not disappoint. It was a, a full-on Marion gem drop session. Thank you. Love it. All right. So for everyone listening, thank you as well for joining in. If there's ever anything you want us to cover, if you have questions from this session, if you want to dive deeper, shoot us a note at nonormalatreviveagency.com. And we'd love it when you share the show with friends and colleagues or give us a rating and review 
All of that is so appreciated. So until next time, don't be satisfied with the normal. Marion, certainly not. Push that no normal. And we will talk to you all in a few weeks. Three.